Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is a Soul Fire production. Hello, hello. Hi, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and... Good middle of the night. Good middle of the night. Which is our favorite. We're together again, but in a different location. Yes, we are. Where are we? We are at the compound in Kanab, Utah. The which... homestead. Oh. <laughs> the homestead. Homestead, homestead. Sorry. Where did the compound come from? That's funny. Homestead, which is AKA Stu's new home. And I'm visiting, which is awesome. Yeah, you have Zoe and Hope with you. Zoe's my dog and Hope is my RV or home. <laughs> People know Hope, it. Hope is my home. Hope is your home, right? Yeah. And it's been lovely. You know what I was thinking? I went to the grocery store to get some stuff for dinner. And I was thinking we're not going to have our normal catch up because we've been together. Normally we tell each other what we've been doing. Right. So we're going to tell you guys what we've been doing. So what do we do? We mowed. <laughs> oh, we did. Yeah. We got on the mower. So and you might have seen. We gardened and we <laughs> rearranged furniture. If you guys are noticing today, well, you don't all see video, but we're in a different direction in his yeah. office. So it looks different. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to be working on that. We're going to keep working on Bliss, it. Bliss has a feng shui thing that that I lack, which is one of the <laughs> other nice things about our yin and yang, which is great. Here's something that you guys might not know about me is when I went to college, I started off as a interior designer major because I thought, well, how fun is it to just spend other people's money and shop. Oh my God. That reminds me of my very first one. She just, she went to town. <laughs> she went to town. She, she bought really expensive furniture because she took the percentage. <laughs> you learned. The and then I became, I became an architect major. So some of you might not know that before I was a midwife. Yeah. It's an interesting thing when you, when you have a for-profit motive, which again, is nothing evil about that, but it can certainly turn. Manipulate things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because you look at the, look at healthcare. And you look at the whole thing, but I guess it all started with my interior design <laughs> back in back in 1987. That, that's a while ago. Do you know, in 1987, I bought my first house. I did not know that. In Brentwood. And because I was a physician and then that actually mattered in those days, the bank gave me a hundred and some thousand dollars unsecured as a loan. Mm -hmm. And I bought a really expensive house in a really expensive part of town. Mm -hmm. But it was 1987, so it really wasn't the same as it was now. But for $25,000 of my own money. Wow. I know. <laughs> I know. $25,000 wow. of my own money, and I got this really beautiful house. And of course, like many decisions in my life, again, you can't go back and say, I should have done something differently. But had I, I kept that house, I would not have to work ever again. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would have paid it off because it was more than 30 years ago. And, and it was a, and now it's worth five times what I paid for it. Wow. Right. Anyways, it's beautiful here and we're having a great time and we're going to record a few podcasts together. And two is more than two. Two. <laughs> but knowing us, it might be more. And but today we're going to talk about low platelets because yes. you guys love topics and we haven't done this topic yet. And someone recently asked me about it. And so I thought it, it was on my list already. But I thought this would be a good one to go over. Yeah, I think it's a good topic. Uh, we've got. Several other things on our of plates. Of course. Stu has several other things to talk about. Yeah, my mind attic filled up from last week. It's back <laughs> full again. But before we do that, we should finish 
telling people we went to Zion National Park, mm -hmm. which is what forty-five minute drive from my house, which mm -hmm. is really nice. It's, and it's a beautiful drive. Mm -hmm. And you decided at one point, let's just go out and find some silence. Yeah, because we just drove through, and so I thought, like you know, at least before we leave, let's just like experience the nature and auditory. Yeah, and so you wandered down for no particular reason to this bluff and sat down, mm -hmm. and then within several minutes, a whole herd of mountain goats <laughs> came by to eat. To eat and, yeah. and play with babies. And it was just one of those moments where nature was communicating to us. It was really nice. It was very, very sweet. You posted a couple of those things on your Instagram page and I copied them onto my story. I stole them. I stole them. But that was great. And then we went for a long bike ride yesterday. So yesterday was a really full day. Every day since I've been, since Stu got back, I was here one day without him, has been a very full day. He's a busy guy, you guys. Oh, well, yeah. I want to thank, I want to say thank you to the people of Idaho, to the Monica and the birth center up there and all the, midwives and doulas and midwife students. I was really graciously received up there. I was treated really well. They have a really nice clientele. This is up in Post Falls, Idaho, which is near Coeur d'Alene in the northern part of Idaho. Really beautiful part of the country. I don't know why every time I hear Idaho, I think Idaho. <laughs> I don't know why you think that either. And I'm sure the Idahoans get really pissed about that. Wow. Right. Don't no, <laughs> So know. neither one of us obviously has any births to report on. I mean, I've had people. Yeah, told you guys last one, right? That she was the free birther. Yeah, I mean, you haven't. You've been. You've been traveling for a week, so you really couldn't have much since we last recorded. But I want to thank you all for sending me your birth stories. I, you know, I am a birth geek, and I do get really <laughs> moved by them. We. Well, I'm speaking for myself because <laughs> I've learned long ago not to speak for you. We do. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I just. Just want to say thank you. Um, I will be potentially getting back in the birth world um, off and on, but certainly nothing scheduled. Well, you're in the birth world. You're just not going to be attending. Every now and then I probably will for certain situations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to remind people for sure is that if you write to us and you don't hear from us, it may very well be that obviously we can't write back to everybody, but I want you to all to check your spam folders. <laughs> Because I'm finding that a lot of you write to me or respond to me and your response goes to my spam folder. So as if I needed one more thing to do, now I have to go through my spam folder every day. So I want you guys to do that too, because I write back to a lot of people and I never hear anything. And then you know how they mail sometimes will come up and say, follow up at the top. It'll mm -hmm. put the email back at the top. Like it's obviously reading my emails, which makes me, which creeps me out as, as well. So it knows that I'm waiting for a response on somebody. And then I find out that, that they, Send another email, they get that one, and then they look in their spam box and they find, oh, yeah, we went to spam. So I don't exactly understand the email system, nor do I really care to understand the email system. <laughs> can I give them a little teaser of some of the things we've been talking about? Yeah. Okay. Of course you can. So um, could I stop you if you do? <laughs> yes. So we are to creating a community for you guys, and we're really excited about it. And it will, be a Patreon. I don't know what you call it. It'll be on Patreon and we'll have additional content and all kinds of live things and interaction. And we're really excited about we creating are, we it. Are, we are, even I'm excited about it, but because, because sometimes it overwhelms me, the whole idea of yeah getting into this, all this media stuff. But as long as I've got a team of you and our two great helpers pointing me in the right direction saying, okay, Stu, Today, you need to write this or you need to do this. Then I can get it done. Yeah. So I have an assistant scout. He has an assistant, Emily, and we all come together and we've been brainstorming about some cool new things. 
one of the other things, we don't know how frequently we're going to do it, but it's going to be a, I guess, a webinar where you can bring your family or your husband yeah, this is cool. or your wife, if you're the husband and you want to do it and the wife doesn't and talk about home birth. If you are thinking like, I really want to do home birth, but my community or my family member or my mom just is really skeptical. Dr. Stu and I are going to do like kind of do a little presentation in the beginning, and then it'll be an interactive question and answer to get everybody comfortable with doing home birth. Or not. Community birth. Yeah. We, I mean, no, we're going to, it's going to be a hundred percent. Everybody <laughs> is going to do it. That's right. When we were talking today with Emily and Scout, you said, we're going to convince people to do this. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, when we get closer to it, I'm going to make sure we don't, we change the. I apologize. Right, I right. didn't really mean. Just I know. You, I know. I know. I know. Inform. So we're going to inform people and hopefully that will be helpful to you. And, and we're excited about that because we to do that in our sleep. Right. That's that's an easy one for us. to. I actually to do do that in my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I wake up at three in the morning and I'm and I'm responding to people. So I guess that's the same thing. OK, moving on. So you had a few things you wanted. I got to... a lot. I got a few things. So let's, let's do that before we get to low platelet count. The first is. Oh, well, I get my glasses on here because now I'm I'm lower on the table. So um, I like that. Oh, question. follow up. We did a podcast recently on low lying placenta, correct? Yes. Yeah, I think we read. I think we read Gabriel's letter. If, but she wrote back and she said, "Dear Doctor Stu, I made a note to write back to you, but I wanted to wait until I had an update. I just had my ultrasound today at 29 weeks. So she's one of those women that had a 20 week ultrasound. They told her that she had a placenta previa. Yep, I have one in my case. And they scared the jeepers out of her at 29 weeks. And guess what? It moves. Yeah. There's no sign of previa or accreta. Yes. My complete previa resolved and my placenta is now right lateral, three centimeters away from my cervix, clear of my scar. I think I scared the tech half to death when I burst into tears of joy. Yeah. Yeah. So then she goes on to say something which we don't say too much on the podcast. She talks about a good maternal fetal medicine specialist. So I want to give credit where credit is due. The maternal fetal medicine specialist who spoke to me after the ultrasound was kind, considerate, and even printed out some of the most recent research on previa and accreta for me, showing that the numbers the other MFM, the scary one, had thrown at me were erroneous. That's a good word, by the way, erroneous. Mm-hmm. I like when our listeners use good words like that. The new M, because they could have just said we're false or fake or mm-hmm. bad or stupid or whatever, but they said erroneous. The new MFM even supported my plan for a trial of labor after cesarean, even though her hospital does not allow VBACs. Thankfully, I'm delivering elsewhere. She said a vaginal birth would be the best thing for me and my desire to have a big family I hope to have. Not nice? Which is very thoughtful. As for the doomsday MFM, my husband thinks we should add to her to our Christmas card list. I love this. So she can watch our family grow year by year. I'm honored that you wrote back to me so quickly, and I credit you and Bliss and your wonderful podcast for helping to keep me centered and informed in the long weeks between my ultrasounds. Love it. Yeah. And I remember when I wrote back to her back in early May, and I told her to be confident and stuff like that. And I, and I said something, which I, I think is important to say. I said, once they plant these seeds of worry in you, and once these seeds of worry are planted, they can fester. Don't let it, don't let that happen. Right. Good job. Okay. Awesome. All right. Then I have a follow-up on the low-hanging fruit thing that we talk about marketing, mm-hmm. how to market people to take things that they don't want to take. And this was just sent to me from somebody, and I don't remember who sent it to me because I just copied part of it. But it was in from a, the journal Nature, and it was an article published a couple, it was recent, in the last week or two. And it was about, it says, the title is Bill Gates Funded AI Chatbots to Promote COVID Vaccines. And to increase lagging vaccination rates, scientists developed specialized AI actors 
to talk to people online to convince them to get vaccinated. This was done in response to all important but unmentioned, quote, stakeholders, unquote, demanding that chatbots be deployed to improve vaccine acceptance. Uh, it goes on, but the part that's valuable, that's valuable lesson here is that you guys, we cannot believe any, pretty much anything. You can believe what you're hearing here. because We're not bots. We're not bots. But so much stuff that you hear nowadays is, is AI generated, and it's really hard. I was watching sports the other day, and they did a commercial with Charles Barkley talking. Current Charles Barkley is like 60, talking to 20-year-old Charles Barkley on the couch. And you had, if you didn't know that that was 20-year-old Charles Barkley, you'd think he was just talking to another young guy that looked like him 20, 40 years ago. Yeah. And they can, and they did it with the same voice and they did it. So you have no way of knowing stuff is true anymore. So we got to be discerning. We talk, we, we've talked about it many times, find trusted sources, stick with them. And then one of the silly rules that I have is if somebody is recommending something that, that doesn't make money for somebody, it's probably true. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Um, got a number of dumb doctor dogma stuff, all short. Okay. So, so this one's from Leslie door Two, And it's about bathing my baby. She says, I had my birth preferences that I did not want baby to be bathed. And since I tested positive for COVID, I wasn't sick at all. The hospital said it was policy to bathe when mom is positive. Yeah. And she writes dot, dot, dot. So stupid. Pretty sure you can't, you know, you can wash the COVID off. And she's got a laughing emoji. So in other words, she's saying, pretty sure you can't wash COVID away with a, with right. a baby bath. I know I could have still declined, but I didn't want to fight after my beautiful unmedicated hospital birth that I worked so hard for. Needless to say, if I have any more babies, they will be birthed at home. Yay. What were they thinking? I mean, were they thinking or did they not even thinking? We can wa we'll wash the COVID away. Yeah. That's the whole thing about washing your hands and stuff. So you got to wash your baby too. Yeah. But there's no parallel. It's not the same. It's not the same. So we have a new sponsor, Bliss. Dr. Lindsay has been our friend for a really long time. She's been a birth colleague. And her company, BirthFit, is focused on supporting women throughout the motherhood transition with general strength and conditioning programs for preconception, pregnancy, and postpartum. Isn't that awesome? Like any phase of the journey, you can use their programs. They even have a B community where you can go to if you're trying to conceive or if you know you want to in the next one to three years, which is awesome. They have a lying in program, which is in the first, you know, beginning of postpartum. Like what they say is even a day after you can start to get into this. It's 30 days, one video a day, less than 10 minutes that focus on reconnecting and honoring your body. In the immediate postpartum period, they use breathing exercises, visualization, belly massages. So cool. And then they have an extended program called Postpartum Program. It's a 12-week program focused on building a base level of general physical fitness with simple lifts, tempo work, and of course, breath work. And all of the work that they do um, requires no or minimal equipment. Um, so you can do it right out of your home. Um, and then, of course, they have the prenatal program. They have a, a basic 30-day program where no equipment is necessary. I guess you can kind of test out and see if you like their, their vibe. And then they have a more extensive pro program, the prenatal training program, which is a full-term strength and conditioning program. Um, I mean, wow. Yeah, I, I've, no, I've known Lindsay for a really long time. She's a, she was a chiropractor in L.A. before, before they fled and moved to Texas. <laughs> uh, anyway, we, we support them wholeheartedly because... This kind of a program is great for 
our, our clients and most of our listeners. Yeah. Um, so you go to birthfit.com, that's B-I-R-T-H-F-I-T.com. Use the code INSTINCTS1, all caps, INSTINCTS1, with the number, not the not one, but the number, to get a discount on a basics prenatal program, or use code INSTINCTS2 to get a discount on the basic postpartum program. All right, so we love BirthFit. Uh, it's OB and midwife approved. That's right. And right. please support them. And congratulations on your pregnancy, Lindsay. Thanks for joining the team. Welcome to the Birthing Instincts neighborhood. On to more dumb doctor dogma. Okay, okay, here's one. This is from Fruit of the Womb. And it's... Name, by the way. Yeah, it is. It, <laughs> it's about not eating when you're on mag sulfate. It's just a really short thing from Instagram. And she says, I have a client who has postpartum preeclampsia. They're recommending not eating while on magnesium. Do you know why? Uh, the hospital isn't giving her a straight answer. She hasn't eaten in 26 hours. That's terrible. <laughs> I'm laughing. <laughs> Yeah, it's terrible. Because otherwise I'd be infuri- I'd be furious or crying. Yeah. Um, the only reason they're not letting her eat is policy, because no one's thinking anymore. They're just following a policy that's written by no one who's thinking anymore. Mm-hmm. But is it the regular no eating policy? Like for yeah, labor? Yeah, because because I wrote that I think that she might have a seizure. The whole point of putting her on mag is so she doesn't have a seizure. But right. if she had a seizure, they wouldn't want her to have any food in her stomach. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're starving. So they, they wouldn't let her eat during labor. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to keep her on mag for 24 hours after labor. They're not going to let her eat either. That's just, I mean, again, we talked about health care and having right. an essence for healing. Yeah. <laughs> not exactly. I mean, you need to eat food yeah. to be well. Okay. Dumb. That's that one. It's true. Dumb, dumb. Okay. I think, I think some of these are ours and some of these were sent by somebody else's quotes, but the use of language, we, we talk often, you talk about not using the terms, uh, 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 malpresentation or what's some of the other ones that you optimal cord optimal cord clamping yeah there, there are things that you don't like but there are things you don't like that the that medical model uses so how we speak about our births is important patient for our pr- processing and understanding of what is and isn't it's also important for us as a society when we tell our stories that others hear the truth of the matter instead of placing blame within our bodies and our babies we can stop perpetuating the birth of birth being dangerous and often goes wrong. Here are some examples. They tell you, my body failed during the induction. The right answer would be the induction failed. Yeah, absolutely. You can, why don't you read one? Let's see. My baby was too big. Right better, yeah. better would be I wasn't given a good chance at birthing my baby. Okay. Next one, I failed to progress. And I like this one. The mm-hmm. good answer is my team failed to wait. A hundred percent. You know, I love that one. No, I mean, sometimes you don't progress, but most of the time failure to progress is a failure of the team to be patient. Yes. And and understand that labor doesn't always follow Friedman's curve. Yeah. Okay. My baby was posterior. My team didn't know how to adequately support a posterior birth. Yep. And my body doesn't go into labor. My team didn't understand due dates and expected me to not to go not late to not go into labor by a certain time. Right. Oh, that, there's some typo there, but so basically they didn't wait again. Yeah, I mean, because patient to wait. We talk about you don't like the term miscarriage. I don't know if that's me. Oh, <laughs> you know, it puts the blame on the mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I, th- I thought you, I thought that was you, maybe not. But I understand that. You know, we all. Oh, before I get to this one, you may have seen this too. I saw a real good meme, or not a meme, a video on Instagram, where they talk about how easy it is to convince people that. Up is down and down is up. And I don't know if you saw this, but there was a guy lecturing an auditorium full of people. And he had on the screen, he had a picture of a red dot and a blue dot. Oh, no, I didn't say this one. Okay. And he said, how many of you think 
dots are the same size. And most of the people raise their hands are the same size. Obviously, there's some people there that think it's a trick. So they did, but most people raise the same size. And then he says, What if I told you that they're not? How many of you think the blue dot is bigger? Half the audience raises their hand. How many of you think the red dot is bigger? Half the audience raises their hand. And he says, Well, in fact, they're both the same size. And I just convinced all of you that they aren't the same size just by telling you they aren't the same size. Huh. You didn't believe your eyes. Interesting. Right. Yeah. So this is what's going on mm-hmm. constantly. We talked just briefly earlier about about inability to discern bots and AI mm-hmm. on, on your feeds and stuff like that. Same thing's going to happen here. And also, you know, I try to build my whole thing organically. We both have. Mm-hmm. And I get these things all the time from maybe even bots that say, I can get you 10,000 followers. And I, I kindly, the first time respond, or don't respond the first couple of times. And then they keep persistent. So I finally say, you know, no, I'm not interested. And why aren't you interested? And then I say, not interested is a complete sentence. I don't owe you anything else. And then a day or two later, they'll 74 new messages, the same thing, trying to get me to sign up for their fake bots. It's, I don't even believe that's a real person that's doing it. I think that it's Instagram or it's somebody on Instagram. Potentially. Yeah. Anyway, because sometimes you go to the, you click on their, their profile and they got like 42 followers. Yeah. Who has 42 followers? Yep. Okay. Intentional birth people, Meredith and Alicia. Yeah. You know them? You love them, right? Yeah. Yeah. They 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 send out, they're busy. They're like sending out stuff Prolific. every single day. But I just like this one because, you know, you talked a lot about um, the, the treating your birth like your wedding. Mm-hmm. I've gone through that before. Yep. And, you know, birth is a life event. It's life itself. Yes. And we, sh- we should think of it like that. Mm-hmm. Sacred. And again, language is something we just mentioned and. They they sent out one recently that they they called uh, well they call it lesson number two how to choose your midwife, and then they just wrote this paragraph which I just thought was very touching. They said, "Remember the early days of dating your spouse, long talks, bearing your soul, and connecting deeply through listening and sharing. You get to do the same with your midwife. Mm-hmm. You want to ensure that you're ready to share the most intimate, important moments of your life with her. So start the conversation. Yeah, it's beautiful. Right. Mm-hmm. You can Love do that with your OB too. I don't. Some of them. Yeah, no, some of them, but most of the time, the feedback you're going to get is... It's hard to go deep in five minutes. Yes. (laughs) You need a little bit more time to get there. Okay. Okay. Okay, so let's take a break. We'll be right back. We're going to talk a little bit about our sponsor, Needed. We love them. They have an amazing company. And you know what, you guys? Your prenatal nutrition isn't cutting it. So they redesigned the prenatal vitamin for you to be optimally nourished. They came out with a new product. I mean, I just feel like every time I turn around, they've got a new amazing product. And this one is an immune support. It's easy to take delicious elderberry powder to support optimal immune health for the whole family. You know, I was hiking the other day and I saw an elderberry bush. You recognized it? Of course not. (laughs) Really impressed. But the midwife I was with recognized it right away. Um, 70% of the immune system resides in the gut. So comprehensive support is needed. Most immune support products aren't designed for all ages and stages. Their immune support is safe and effective for the whole family, kids, pregnant, and nursing moms included. So that is perfect for our followers. Yeah, so go to their website at uh, thisisneeded.com and look through their products. I mean, not only do they have a prenatal vitamin, uh, which we recommend, but they have sleep and relaxation support, stress support, hydration support, collagen, a pre and probiotic, which I think is a good thing. Um, for a lot of us to be taking, especially if you have immune issues or if you uh, had recently taken antibiotics or something like that. 
They have a whole thing for men, so you can men can look at that at their website as well. So again, we love their we love their sponsor. And what makes them different is optimal nutrient forms, dosages that help you thrive, easy to take at all stages of pregnancy. They were formulated with practitioners and they're recommended by over 3,000 women health experts, just like us. And I was going to say that. <laughs> I stole your... You stole it. No. Okay. So go to thisisneeded.com, just spell it out and use the code birthinginstincts to get 20% off your first order. Thisisneeded.com. I think you get 20% off every order, but just, mm-hmm. just uh, use the code word birthinginstincts at thisisneeded.com. Thanks, Needed. Thank you. Thrombocytopenia. Yeah. Meaning what? Low platelets. Okay. What is the What does the suffix penia mean? Penis. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I knew you were saying that. It's like, you're such a child. I am. <laughs> I have the humor of a 14-year-old boy sometimes. Anyways. Well, whatever we were talking, we were talking about, if you say like, you know, scrotum to a little kid or something like that, they just start giggling. They just start <laughs> laughing hysterically. Booger. <laughs> okay. Farts and boogers, no, but scrotum is okay, a funny word. So, you no, know, I was curious. It's a suffix. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a lot of things. So I looked it up. You know what it means? It means deficiency. Yep. Great. So. We also have, we, we have a, like, we have medical wisdom penia going on in the world. We do. Deficiency. We have a trust penia mm-hmm. in the world. We have a lot of penias going on in the world. But today we're going to talk about what? Um, low platelets. Low platelets. <laughs> <laughs> she's right next to me today. I'm she's not so like, red. I think it's important. I think it's important that, you know, it's funny because when, uh, when we're, when we're on the screen, like miles yeah, apart, it's, it's just different. <laughs> All right, guys. I crack you up, right? Okay. Okay. What do you want to talk about with that? How do you want to do this? <laughs> what was your topic? But I love that you start with the technical stuff, oh and then I God. and then I can break down the uh, the other stuff. I like when you when you talk the medical stuff first. Well, I you know I again because I am an associate of ACOG, the American College of UN, I yeah. have access to their information. Um, I don't pay for up to date, and I, uh. So I don't, don't, but I like up to date, but it just, it's a subscription thing. And I'm, you know, it's just not something I need to use anymore. So I went to ACOG and they have a practice bulletin on thrombocytopenia in pregnancy from March of 2019. So rel- relatively recent. And we're going to talk about the, the, more co- the two most common ki- types of low platelet count in pregnancy, the kind that most of us are going to experience. I'm not going to go deep into the weeds with, other, with some of the autoimmune sort of things like that. But, right. Um, Platelet counts are included with the automated CBC. Everybody knows that. When you order a CBC, that's what you're going to get that. Complete so it's, blood count. Right. Mm-hmm. So that so that's part of your routine first trimester blood test. So everybody's going to get a platelet count. All right. Normal platelet counts can run anywhere from, you know, 200,000 to 400,000. That tends to be the normal platelet count. Uh, platelet counts do fall as pregnancy progresses, but let's talk about this. So thrombocytopenia, which is deficient thrombocytes, mm-hmm. <laughs> is defined as a platelet count less than 150,000. Okay. That's the working definition. Now, if you live in a hospital-based model, then somebody who has a platelet count of 149,000 is going to be treated differently than somebody who has a platelet count of 151,000. Usually. They're the same people, mm-hmm. but they're going to treat them differently because algorithms run numbers, mm-hmm. all right? Some causes of thrombocytopenia are serious medical disorders that have the potential for maternal and fetal morbidity, but they're very rare, and we're not going to dive too deeply into those today. But in contrast, other conditions such as gestational thrombocytopenia are benign and pose no maternal or fetal risk. Because of the increased recognition of maternal and fetal thrombocytopenia, there are numerous controversies about obstetric management of this condition. 
So there's a lots of opinions out there, and most of the opinions in the medical model are, you know, thrombocytopenia, red flag for a doctor, increased surveillance, increased monitoring, increased worrying, increased that, all those things. Um, but what they're saying is for people that have truly just gestational thrombocytopenia, the risks are extremely small. And we'll, I'll get to the numbers. We'll get to the numbers. So I won't okay. get ahead of myself. Okay. You know, I, I read this whole thing. So I, now I, I already know, but something's coming. I don't want to forecast it too badly. Okay. So platelet function, right? What do platelets do? They help us clot our blood, right? Right. right. Platelet disorders such as thrombocytopenia usually result in bleeding into mucous membranes. That's different than people who have a clotting cascade problem, like factor eight deficiency, mm -hmm. where they'll bleed into soft tissues or they'll get bleed into joints or they'll, you know, they'll bruise easily and their bruise will grow to be the size of a, you know, of a grapefruit. Mm -hmm. All right. So the common presentations for somebody with low platelet count are petechiae. You know what petechiae? They're like little teeny uh -huh. bruises. And you can differentiate them from like angiomas, which are little spider angiomas. Because petechiae, if you push on, doesn't change color. But an angioma, if you push it on, it'll blanch and then it'll fill up again from the base. So that's a petechiae echimosis, which is black and blue marks, mm -hmm. essentially. I've never heard that word before. That's what it is. Yeah. Epistaxis, what that is? <laughs> Nosebleeds. I love how they right. use these words. Gingival bleeding, you probably know that. Gingivitis your of gum, gums. Your gums, right. And then normal uterine bleeding. All right. Those are the more common presentations, either you know, heavy or menstrual bleeding or intermenstrual bleeding. Mm -hmm. Those are the most common presentations for somebody with a low platelet count. But sometimes we just know because we drew their blood. Right. Most of the time, people who have gestational thrombocytopenia will have no symptoms at all. Right. But the, one of the things that I always ask people if they're having abnormal bleeding um, is I'll ask them about their bleeding history. And one of the things I always ask about is nosebleeds. It's just a good way to tell. I mean, everybody could get a nosebleed now and then, but people that get them regularly, that's not normal. Okay. Uh, by the way, I, I used my yellow highlighter because that's the only way I can know. Because otherwise, it's like 12 pages long. I didn't want to do that. The laboratory range of platelet counts in pregnant women varies by trimester with a gradual decrease as pregnancy progresses. Women in the third trimester of pregnancy has significantly lower mean platelet levels than non-pregnant women. So therefore, you have to adjust your norms. You can't be judging a pregnant woman in the third trimester how you judge you know, your, your uncle and his platelet count. The definition of thrombocytopenia is somewhat arbitrary and not necessarily clinically relevant. For pregnancy? Yes. Mm -hmm. for, any, for Yeah, in, for pregnancy. <laughs> We're talking about in pregnancy, but yes. Mm -hmm. So again, there's so many different opinions. And if you're in a medicalized model where you're looking for problems, then a dropping platelet count is going to be considered a problem that you need to continue to follow, as opposed to maybe not necessarily following it, but just waiting to see if there's anything that's changing in the clinical presentation or the complaint of the mom, rather than having her come in all the time to draw blood, only to see your platelet count went from, you know, 167,000 to 149,000. And now everybody's worried when it really makes no difference. Yeah. And I, um, I actually talked to a lot of the midwives that I really respect and asked them what they do with low platelets just to kind of, you know, field my community. And one of them mentioned that she had had somebody who would get variable in terms of the numbers from one time of the day to another because she would be drawing it and then they would she would had to go into the hospital or something and they would draw it again and up to 15 points it could vary from time of day hydration things like that well hydration certainly matters mm -hmm. okay same thing with hematocrit so right okay mm. the differential diagnosis of thrombocytopenia we're going to talk about the two main two main ones 
Thrombocytopenia is caused by increased by increased platelet destruction or decreased decreased platelet production. Obviously, mm -hmm. like anything else, mm -hmm. it's like supply chain. Either everybody's buying it or there isn't enough people making it. Right in pregnancy, most cases occur because of increased platelet destruction. Decreased platelet production in pregnancy is less common and is usually associated with bone marrow disorders. So it's not usually about your bone marrow not making them. It's your body's chewing them up for some reason. Okay. The most common etiology of thrombocytopenia during pregnancy is gestational thrombocytopenia, which accounts for 80% of the cases. Okay. All right. Remember, we talked about this. It's, it's, it's a benign condition. Gestational thrombocytopenia is also called incidental or idiopathic thrombocytopenia of pregnancy. Problem with that is that its initials are ITP, okay? ITP, when I, was when I was in medical school and stuff, stood for immunologic thrombocytopenic purpura. It was a serious condition. So it's really, got to be careful when you hear the term ITP to determine whether or not they're talking about which one they're talking about. It's really too bad that they all both begin with an I. There are five key characteristics to gestational thrombocytopenia. One, onset can occur at any point in pregnancy, but almost always in the mid-second to late-second to third trimester. Yes. So we would we would catch it normally with that draw that we do at 28 weeks. Platelet counts rarely drop below 75,000. Okay. Mm -hmm. Two, women with gestational thrombocytopenia are asymptomatic with no history of bleeding. Three, women have no history of thrombocytopenia before they were pregnant. Yes. Four. Platelet counts usually return to normal within one to two months after giving birth, which of course you wouldn't know if you're, you know, at that point, but that's part of gestational thrombocytopenia. And five, the incidence of fetal or neonatal thrombocytopenia in the setting of gestational thrombocytopenia is low. So it doesn't affect the fetus. Okay. There are some where you, if you're making platelet antibodies or something, they're going to cross the placenta and, and affect the fetus. But we're not talking about the fetus today. We're talking about what our, our listeners or their family members are going to experience when they go in and get their CBC drawn and someone tells them, oh, your platelet count is on the low end of normal. What do we? What's the definition of low end of normal? Still normal. Still normal. I got you. <laughs> That's a, that would be a t-shirt. Okay, got it. Yeah. I'm trying to come up with some clever t-shirt things. <laughs> yeah. What, what do they call somebody who graduates last in medical school? A doctor. Yeah, I learned right. this one with right. you and yeah. Dr. Drake. Uh, Dr. Drake. That's right. Mm -hmm. There are no specific laboratory tests to confirm gestational thrombocytopenia. Therefore, it's a diagnosis of exclusion. All right. Does that make sense? Say it one more time. You can't just run a blood test to say, oh, you have gestational thrombocytopenia. You find that a woman has a platelet count of 110,000 at 33 weeks. She's got no other problems. All right. The assumption, maybe you do a workup to look to see if she's got hemolysis going on or preeclampsia or anything like that. None of that comes up. Then the diagnosis is gestational hypertension, gestational thrombocytopenia. There we go. Okay. okay. The second one we're going to talk about, the most common thing, are hypertensive disorders in pregnancy, mainly preeclampsia. Mm -hmm. Okay. Why are we talking about that right now? Because that's the other ca main cause of a low platelet count. Oh, of breaking it down. Yeah. There are two main differential diagnoses, as you can see here. You guys can't see it, but uh -huh. this is really long. Yeah. Okay? okay. But we're not going to talk about these really rare things like, like uh, oh, lupus. That's one I was thinking about. Yeah. Well, help falls into this category. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're going to get to. Mm -hmm. So. A platelet count of less than 100,000 is a hematologic diagnosis criteria for preeclampsia. So when you look for the thing, the triad of HELP syndrome, mm -hmm. hypertension, I mean, excuse me, hemolysis, elevated liver function test, and low platelet count, the low platelet count has to be below 100,000 mm -hmm. to be part of that triad. Mm -hmm. Okay, just so you know. Clinical hemorrhage in this situation is very uncommon. So people with health, HELP syndrome generally don't bleed. 
in pregnancy or delivery? You're talking about delivery? Both. Okay. Both. Okay. Because their platelet function is still functioning. All right. Uh, and we all know that HELP syndrome, I just said, it's hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, and low platelet count. Um, the cause of thrombocytopenia in women with preeclampsia is unknown. Mm -hmm. So why the platelet count drops is unknown. And why, but it, we believe it's increased platelet destruction, but why, we still don't know. Okay. It is noteworthy that the platelet count may decrease before other clinical manifestations of preeclampsia become apparent. So if you, if you happen to check somebody's platelet count at 32 weeks for no reason whatsoever, mm -hmm. and it's less than 150,000, but they're perfectly fine, they have normal blood pressure, no protein in the urine, whatever, they probably have what? They probably have gestational thrombocytopenia. But it could be a very early precursor for develop, somebody that's going to develop preeclampsia. So you should watch them a little more closely checking their blood pressure, that sort of thing, looking for those sorts of things. Because it could be the first thing that happens in somebody developing preeclampsia. Okay. Okay? I'm following. And then there's thrombocytopenia with an immunologic basis. But but HELP syndrome, uh, preeclampsia accounts for 5 to 21% the cases of low, low platelet count. Well, we already know that gestational thrombocytopenia accounts for 80%. So we're talking between 85 and 100% of, well, it's never going to be 100%, but of low platelet counts are these two things. There's a whole bunch of things that can cause the other small percentage of them. We're not going to go into right. we're not going to go into them because it's beyond the scope of what we could possibly do in a in a podcast hour. Yeah, and okay. you and your eyes will roll back in your head. So we're not going to do that. And today. I've done that to you guys before, and I'm not going to do it today. <laughs> I just want to say that immune thrombocytopenia is the real ITP, but we're not going to talk about that today. Okay. All right. Elements a tasty electrolyte drink. They've been sponsoring us for a while with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means a lot of salt and, and with no sugar, as you like to say, none of the... BS, just like us. It's formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs. It's perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low-carb, paleo diet, but not for our pregnant patients who shouldn't be on any of those, <laughs> okay? Uh, but it's good for pregnant women. It's good for postpartum women. It's good for uh, birth workers. It's good for people who are outside working out. Summer's coming on. It's going to be hot and sweaty. Yeah, and it's grapefruit season. I just got my box. Yeah, well, not only is it grapefruit season, but but they also comes in a bunch of other flavors. Yeah. Watermelon, citrus, orange, raspberry, raw, your favorite. Mango chili. Lemon and chocolate, raspberry. Lemon course. habanero. Lemon habanero. What is a habanero, anyway? It's a, it's a spicy chili. Okay. Yeah. There you go. You know, the other day I was at a very long birth and we went to get some electrolytes for the mom to see if we could help her with some of the things that she was dealing with. And we, every one of the birth workers that was there had some too. We're like, we all need it. Let's all have some element. Yeah. And, it, com and it comes in a little packet so that you, you don't have any waste. Right. Like Great. throwing bottles away and stuff like that. You can just use it in your reusable container. We love that. That sort of thing. So we love that. So you go to drink element, that's drink L-M-N-T dot com backslash birthing instincts and you get a free sample pack with any order great thanks element thank you so clinical considerations and recommendations here's a question what is the appropriate workup for maternal thrombocytopenia okay all right so if you get accident you know again most mm -hmm. doctors will re draw your blood at first trimester and they'll draw another set at 28 weeks yep. when they do your glucose screening they'll draw another cbc mm -hmm. If your platelet count's normal at that point, there's no reason really to be having more blood tests unless it's clinically indicated. So no more, don't, no, no routine. We need to check your platelet count at 36 weeks. No, you don't. No, you don't. Even if it's low, you're saying? No, if, it was, if it's low it's at 28 normal. weeks, I'm saying it was normal at 28 weeks. Okay. Why are we looking at it? Because you know when you go to the hospital, mm -hmm. you're going to draw it anyway. Yes. Right. It's not going to change anything that happens between drawing your blood for no reason at 36 weeks and then and going to labor a month later. I mean, yes, a broken clock is 
is right twice a day. So every now and then they'll do something that's unnecessary, but it will turn out that they did something right. But, but the, the damage that they cause by doing unnecessary testing in just the psychological aspect of things and the worrying is just not worth it. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's the appropriate workup? Well, first of all, it's, it's medical and family history because you can look for the, some of the autoimmune things and stuff to see if they run in your family. But that's not, again, we're not going there today. But a complete blood count, the examination of peripheral blood smear generally are indicated in the evaluation of maternal thrombocytopenia. So you want if somebody has a low platelet count, you probably have detected that from a CBC. From a CBC, you can determine whether or not it's just thrombocytopenia or what's called pancytopenia. Like they have low red cells, low white cells. There's a problem with their bone marrow in that case. Mm-hmm. So it's almost always just thrombocytopenia. So that's the benefit of a CBC. The benefit of a peripheral smear is to rule out platelet clumping, which means you may have a normal platelet count, but for some reason they're clumping and so the little automated counter doesn't count them. And then you really don't have it at all. Okay. So that's called pseudo thrombocytopenia. Okay. Pseudo meaning false. Mm-hmm. So false deficiencies in platelets. Okay. Latin is cool. <laughs> okay. If drugs and other medical disorders are excluded, there are certain medications. Very few pregnant women are taking these medications, but certain medications that can cause your platelet count to drop are excluded. The most likely diagnosis in the first and second trimester will be gestational thrombocytopenia. And then occasionally that idiopathic one that I talked about. In general, maternal thrombocytopenia between 100,000 and 149,999, no, 149,000 in an asymptomatic pregnant woman with no history of bleeding problems is usually due to gestational thrombocytopenia. A platelet count less than 100,000 is more suggestive of an immune process. And a platelet count of less than 50,000 almost certainly due to immune process. And we're not going to dis- we're not discussing the immune thrombocytopenia because we're talking a lot less than a couple percent of people with low platelet count. So I feel like I remember when when I had a previous client who ended up who did end up getting transported postpartum for bleeding, mm-hmm. by the way. But and I don't remember what her numbers are right now. But I thought I remember you saying you wouldn't be concerned unless it was below fifty. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. So clinically, they usually say below one fifty. I believe that's a diagnosis of thrombocytopenia. Clinically below 70,000. We're going to get to that in a second. Oh, okay. I'll wait. Yeah. No, I'm going to get that. Just remember that. Okay. Um, You know, again, it's it's my even number rule. If somebody's below 70,000 or below 150,000 by one or 2,000, is that really significant? But it is. And it will change. it'll, It'll change everything that the hospital will do because of their liability and their protocols. I know that a lot of people that are listening probably are our hospital people? Yeah, I hope they are. I'm not. I don't I'm not even thinking about this from a hospital perspective. I'm thinking of this from a midwifery perspective and when we would treat someone and how and that kind of thing. Just for your context. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're gonna, when we get to the de- end of this whole thing of this facts, then we can have a conversation about what's <laughs> what's practical in real life. Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh so what's the appropriate management for gestational thrombocytopenia? All right? Pregnancy with gestational thrombocytopenia, that means that no other cause, it's a ruling, a diagnosis of exclusion, is generally, are generally not at increased risk of maternal bleeding complications or fetal thrombocytopenia. So the risk of having a postpartum hemorrhage is really not significantly increased in people. these people. Because remember, uterine bleeding stops not because of platelets, but because of the uterus contracting down. Mm-hmm. Right. Thus, interventions such as cesarean delivery and the determination of the fetal platelet count are not indicated in patients with this condition. I remember that when we had women who had low platelet count, we would be doing fetal scalp sampling on the baby to see if it was okay for that baby to tolerate labor. I just remember doing that. 
was the dumbest thing because if the baby did have a bleeding problem with its platelet count yeah. and you're poking a hole in its head yeah. to get blood out, I mean, God, we did some dumb stuff. Women with gestational thrombocytopenia do not generally require any additional testing or specialized care, except maybe for follow-up platelet count down the road. But that's that's also one of those questionable things like, okay, you've delivered your baby, your platelet count was 112,000, you deliver your baby, do I really need to check your platelet count again six weeks later? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, convincing ourselves that you don't have anything else wrong, but on the other hand, you're fine. Unless you're, you see signs. You're clinically fine. And one of the things I talk about in the breach class is only do a lab test if the results are going to change your management. Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. The schedule of follow-up laboratory tests should be based on clinical reasoning. So I like that. But in my clinical reasoning would be don't, don't do it. <laughs> Different. Right. Okay. Now, if the, if the woman wants one because she's concerned or she's done reading and she says, I just want to know that I'm back to normal, that's great. Okay. Is it necessary to treat thrombocytopenia association associated with preeclampsia? So in other words, HELP syndrome. Mm-hmm. You need to treat their platelet count. The primary treatment of maternal thrombocytopenia, which is platelet count less than 100,000 in preeclampsia associated with severe features of preeclampsia or HELP syndrome is? Delivery. Right. Yeah. That's how you treat preeclampsia. Yes. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Major hemorrhage is infrequent in patients with preeclampsia, but minor bleeding such as operative site oozing during cesarean delivery is common. Plato transfusions occasionally are needed. Transfusions are less effective in these women, however, because of the accelerated platelet destruction of the process in preeclampsia, which we don't understand. So um, an exception is the patient undergoing cesarean delivery. In this situation, there is consensus guidelines recommending platelet transfusion to increase the maternal platelet count to greater than 50,000. So if a woman has a platelet count of 60,000, 70,000, and she's about to go into surgery, she should be fine. All right. Uh, we're not discussing all that other stuff because that gets into the immune stuff. So can fetal or neonatal intracranial hemorrhage be prevented in pregnancies complicated by immune thrombocytopenia? Okay. So this is important because this is the kind of recommendation that people are going to get. Oh, you have ITP. Your baby could be affected. We, we, we have to section your baby. We have to section you so your baby has less trauma. There is no evidence that cesarean delivery is safer than vaginal delivery. This is from ACOG, by the way. For the fetus with maternal thrombocytopenia due to ITP, that's the real ITP. However, procedures during labors associated with increased hemorrhagic risk to the fetus should be avoided, including the use of fetal scalp electrodes or vacuum delivery. Makes sense. Yep. Yep. You need to study for that, though. (laughs) By the way, you guys, if you can see us, you know Bliss is smirking a lot this entire time. Multiple observational studies that evaluated more than 800 neonates born to women with ITP have observed that the rate of intracranial bleeding is less than 1%, and that the hemorrhagic complications in infants with thrombocytopenia are unrelated to the mode of delivery. Got it. It's kind of like the term breach trial. The term breach trial, they realized that this most serious illness, injuries to the babies were unrelated to the mode of delivery. (laughs) But it didn't really matter there. The mode of delivery in pregnancies complicated with ITP should be determined based on obstetrical considerations alone. Okay. Right. Great. That's always true. So advocate for a vaginal delivery. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, you should have the opportunity to deliver vaginally. There's no there's no reason to induce. They may say, well, we need to induce you before your platelet count falls further. Mm-hmm. Well, how do they know? That it will? Yeah. Yeah, they don't. And not only that, again, the medical model doesn't think there's any downside to induction. Right. Talked about that over and over again. <laughs> okay. No maternal test or clinical characteristics can reliably predict the severity of thrombocytopenia in babies born to women with ITP. So there's no nothing to do. Just do your delivery, and then you can check the baby's play the count from the cord blood if you have to. 
Um, what is appropriate neonatal care for infants born of pregnancies complicated by thrombocytopenia, immune thrombocytopenia? At delivery, umbilical cord blood platelet count, as I just said, should be ascertained. And intramuscular injections such as vitamin K or elective procedures such as male circumcision should be reserved until the platelet count is known. The baby. Mm-hmm. Commonsensical too. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Now remember, we've talked about this before, 67% of ACOG clinical guidelines mm-hmm. are consensus opinion, not based on science. Right. Right. Um, can a patient with thrombocytopenia be given regional anesthesia, which is otherwise called an epidural? Mm-hmm. And sometimes a spinal, right? So here's what's interesting, because you'll be told, I remember this vividly, that no anesthesiologist wants to uh, put an epidural in you if your play the count is below a certain number, whether it's 150,000, 130,000, 100,000 may vary by the hospital or by the anesthesiologist for that matter. But they won't, they don't want to do it because they're afraid you're going to develop a hematoma and then have nerve damage and then sue them. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if you needed anesthesia during labor, you, you're out of luck. But they'll do a C-section? Under general. Oh, got it. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So there's one good reason not to have low platelet count. <laughs> <laughs> if you can help us. <laughs> okay. So on that question, no studies have evaluated the lower limit of platelet count for safe neuroaxial analgesia and anesthesia. So there are no studies that say when it's safe or when it's not safe. Okay. But it goes on. A recent retrospective cohort study of 84,471 obstetric patients from 19 different institutions combined with a systemic review of the medical literature supports the assertion that the risk of epidural hematoma from neuroaxial anesthetics in a parturient, which is a pregnant woman, it's a mouthful. This is interesting. They could have said it. There's a lot easier way to say that. With a play account of more than 70,000 is exceptionally low, less than 0.2%. Of having that complication. So 99.8% chance of not having the complication mm-hmm. if your play account's above 70,000. So I can't tell an anesthesia department or an anesthesiologist what to do, but if you have a play account of 80 or 90,000 and they're refusing to give you an epidural, you need to know these numbers. You need to ask them why. And if, if you you can reach out, I can get you the reference for from this ACOG guideline. And then it has the reference, which is reference number 44, which is, I didn't print those out because that's like seven pages of references. And I'm trying to conserve trees when yes, I do that. So, okay. But I know that anesthesia is risk averse. For their for their benefit, they're they're not necessarily risk averse because general anesthesia is certainly riskier than epidural anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Okay, for a patient with a play account of less than seventy thousand, an individual decision based on risks and benefits should be made. So ultimately, it comes really down to informed consent and the idea that yes, they're recommending that you have general anesthesia, and you're saying no, I don't want a general anesthesia, and willing to take that risk because you want to be awake when your baby's born, you want to hear yeah. your baby be born, and all that other stuff. Yeah. That beautiful stuff. Okay, and then the la- and lastly, I guess the summary of recommendations and conclusions, all right? The following recommendation is level B. So there is no level A recommendations. In other words, there's no randomized controlled trials to tell you whether or not one's better than the other or play the counts. But it, these are the moderately but inconsistent scientific evidence. One is maternal thrombocytopenia between 100 and 149,000 in asymptomatic pregnant women with no history of bleeding problems is usually due to gestational thrombocytopenia. And we know that gestational thrombocytopenia generally doesn't cause a problem. Okay? Given the very low risk of serious neonatal hemorrhage, the mode of delivery in pregnancies complicated with immune thrombocytopenia should be determined based on obstetric considerations alone. So you, you don't, even for immune thrombocytopenia, you don't tell them that a C-section is better for them. And then level C evidence, which is just consensus opinion, is 
They recommend platelet transfusion if your platelet count's below 50,000 before you undergo any sort of procedure, right? I mean, I guess they've probably looked at that, but there's been no study to say the outcomes because probably human subjects won't allow people to have surgeries with platelet counts less than 50,000. Because I don't, you know, it, and, and maybe some people under 50,000 would do fine. Mm-hmm. And some people won't. Yeah. Epidural or spinal anesthesia is considered acceptable. And the risk of epidural hematoma is exceptionally low in patients with platelet counts less than se- of 70,000 or more, provided that the patient platelet level is stable. There's no other acquired or congenital coagulopathy. Platelet function is normal. And the patients are not on any antiplatelet or anticoagulant therapy. Period. Okay. Right. Homework. Have you ever said thrombocytopenia so many times? No. No. Uh-uh. I thought you would sure. Low platelet count certainly rolls off the tongue. Much easier. Much easier. That's one of the things about being a midwife that I really love is that I can just speak in normal language. I know that one paragraph I was reading. <laughs> My coaxial, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, right. in the language thing we were talking about is important. Okay. So that was actually, a lot of that was very interesting and not at all the direction I thought we were going to go. But as you were talking about it, I thought that's probably going to be really interesting for a lot of people in terms of like epidural and, you know, surgery and all of those things that a lot of people are going to be doing, right? What direction did you think we were going to (laughs) go? I'm sure everybody listening wants to know that right now. I guess I thought um, from my brain, how my brain works is when is it okay to have a normal delivery? And, and when would a midwife need to transfer somebody out of care? That, well, that's problem kind of, is, is many states, many states have written guidelines. And we were talking about, at least in California, I went through the California law and I did not find a number. So well, that's good. Yeah. But Lindsay Milas, our friend of the podcast, she said that, you know, her understanding was a hundred. And I think that that's just like a pure kind of a nor- normal way of practicing is if it's below 100, that, that they would consider that to be unsafe. But it's not. And that's good to know. Right. So tell us more about why again, you think it's not. Because if it's truly gestational hypertension, I did it again. <laughs> Your so mouth gestate- doesn't want to say thrombocytopenia anymore. If it's gestational thrombocytopenia, uh-huh. then there's uh, where the play that counts above 70,000. Uh-huh. It's almost never, there's almost never going to be a problem with bleeding. And you told me 50. Well, 50 is my in my gut experience. I'm just talking about what ACOG says in their paper. I know. Right. But again, really, in, in, in real clinical settings, is there really a difference? I mean, you don't know the answer. This is a rhetorical question. Uh-huh. Is there really a difference between 50, 52, 57, 63, and 70? Not really. No. No, there's yeah. not. Yeah. So they have to pick a number. Right. And that's what they do. Okay. So Lindsay, you know, in the in our community in Southern California, I guess the for midwives was a hundred thousand. Not so much because there were again, I think it's just more by habit. Because I don't think that somebody who happens to have a play account of ninety-seven thousand yeah. is at any greater risk than somebody who's got one of a hundred and one thousand. Right. And then and another one of wise midwives from my bridge midwives group was talking about she was the one who had the client who was bouncing back and forth and um getting different tests. She figured it was much better. The woman's platelet counts was 96,000. Yeah. And so she said, to me, woman's going to do much better in a setting where we're not doing interventions like IVs and, and potential surgery and stuff like that than someone who was. So 
and a lot of doctors, other doctors say 75 is probably really appropriate. Well, I don't know where 75 would come from. I don't know I didn't either. Hear, I didn't hear 75 anywhere, but. Okay, but let's talk about some things we might be able to do to increase platelets. Okay, because that's outside my, my right. scope. That's inside mine. All right. Yeah. We'll do that. So, so here's a couple of Transfuse things. platelets. Yeah, we don't do, do that. Do you carry platelets in your birth bag? No, like, and I probably okay. never want to. No. Okay, so thought, they had to be refrigerated, so it wouldn't do well. well. I thought so. this was interesting. Foods <laughs> to avoid alcohol, cranberry juice, artificial sweeteners, and quinine. So quinine, I might understand. Yeah. All right. I'm not hydroxychloroquine. I think is related to quinine, and 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 I didn't I didn't know that it affected your platelet count. So there you go. But alcohol, we should avoid that anyway. But right. cranberry juice is an interesting one. Yeah. Because we tell a lot of a lot of women to drink cranberry juice if they've got bladder issues or something. Yeah, like but that. this is specifically if you have low platelets. And artificial sweeteners we should avoid all the time, even though I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but but so the question, where did where did you get the where did you find this stuff? This is this is a, I was doing a search. Um, is it a bot search or a real search? It was, it was a real search. <laughs> so bottom line, there's a bunch of foods that I'm gonna talk about, but bottom line. There's a bunch of vitamins that you want to focus on. And these are all vitamins that are going to help build healthy blood in general, which, and when you increase um, blood cells, you're also increasing platelets. Well, I think this is important to take these things because there's the first do no harm. Yeah. But secondly, since we, the cause of these gestational thrombocytopenic things are unknown, it, it may very well be that it's a nutritional mm -hmm. thing. Right. Or environmental thing mm -hmm. or whatever else. So yeah, this right. makes perfect sense. So what are those? So so the, the vitamins that, that seemed to be a consensus amongst what I was reading was B12, okay. iron, omega-3s, vitamin C, K, and A, and folate. Okay. Yeah. So that that's a lot of vitamins. So I can talk about some of the foods that you would eat to do that, but there's some supplements that would be good if you wanted to do supplementation. So chlorella, which is basically a supplement from algae mm -hmm. that helps do blood build blood. How does that come? Does it come in a pill or does it come in a like, mix it in a drink? What? Powder, both. It's a powder. Either. Okay. okay. Or pill. Okay. Either. Melatonin tablets, which I think is really interesting. I wanted to look a little bit deeper deeper into why melatonin would help, but that was one of the suggestions. Papaya leaf increases blood cells, which will do that. How about papaya? papaya leaf specifically i know i was gonna say like yeah. who eats the leaf no i know i'm just i'm just giving you cauldron comedy cauldron comedy and then again Lindsay milas recommended a supplement that she uses and has had really great success and it's called lifeblood from heart and soul and it is whole blood extract spleen and liver that's what they're using so it's basically building the blood from that okay so here are some foods that would be helpful. These vitamins soon. and stuff that you suggested, the iron, the vitamin C, K. Mm -hmm. I always think food, if you're doing it through food, it's better than doing supplementation. I would agree because I always said that a lot of times the supplementation just makes expensive urine. But, yeah. But those are things that a lot of women, pregnant women take anyway. I mean, the omega-3 is yep. like fish oil type stuff. That's really good. Yeah. B12 is something that a lot of people don't take. Unless they're vegan or vegetarian, then well, it's usually get... a good idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes you can get B12 shots mm -hmm. because some people don't absorb B12, especially if I remember correctly, it's people of Scandinavian descent. Maybe that's why I don't. I do well with B12 shots, but that's... Yeah, no, no. 
people they have something called pernicious anemia it's a terrible they're talking about a terrible language term <laughs> pernicious anemia there's a scary term <laughs> okay so omega is things like salmon walnuts cod liver oil stuff like that aloe vera actually is another thing that they say helps with platelet increasing wheatgrass juice is good um it has magnesium potassium vitamins like vitamin sodium and amino acids we talked about the papaya Carrot, pumpkin, and kale, which is really rich in A. Green leafy vegetables, which is always something that I recommend to pregnant families anyways, because it just is really good for building blood. Uh, pomegranate is another one that's really great. Um, liver and meat we talked about already, but vitamin K is that would be from that. Kiwi is a good one that helps. This has a high vitamin C, but also boost platelets. And then it talks about some other foods like dairy and stuff, but basically it's just the B12 that they're trying. Okay. To so that, is, that a, is that a website that you went to? So you'll give me- Bodywise. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll put that in the, in the show notes? Sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we'll put that web, website in the show notes. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, again, it's common sense situations, eating healthy, living a healthy lifestyle, staying away from toxins, all aspects of it. I mean, I don't know that there's been a rise of gestational thrombocytopenia in the last 20 years we've seen rises of other chronic illnesses and stuff like that, it would be interesting to know what the rate, I didn't see that anywhere in the ACOG article about the rate of this happening. What percentage of people have thrombocytopenia? Very common. I have not had low platelets in my care very frequently. It's not a very common thing. I would tell you that it probably happens more than we know, because the last time you see their platelet count might be at 28 weeks. True. And then when it shows up, it shows up in the late second and third trimester. So we may have people that have gestational thrombocytopenia go through labor and deliver and and have no problems. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. But if we knew that they had thrombocytopenia, then we'd have all this anxiety. And if it was the medical model, they'd be doing all this intervention because they use, again, they replace nature with fear and wisdom with, with anxiety. Maybe I mix those up, but you know what I mean? They, they, they do that. And and so they're always looking for things about, and we've talked about high risk so many times, but if you, if you want to find it, you will, you just keep looking for it. Yep. Pretty much everybody's high risk in their, in their terms, right? So well, anyway. yeah, well, I, that's the question I ask in the, in my reteach briefcase. I, I go through stuff and I go, does any woman in the medical model ever make it through pregnancy without being labeled at least in one thing, high risk? Right. And I would doubt it. Very rarely. Remember when I when I said maternal fetal medicine doctors are a fraud? Remember when I said mm-hmm. you looked at me like cross-eyed? But I said, I mean, if 15% of women may have medical problems in pregnancy and they're seeing 85% of women, yeah. that means that large percentage of the women they're seeing don't need to be seeing them. And yet they're seeing them and they're being told you need to come back in six weeks, you need to come back in eight weeks, you need to come back in four weeks, you come back weekly, and you come back twice weekly. All right. And for no reason whatsoever. Oh, we need to we need to intervene. We need to introduce you, induce your labor. You know, your baby's too big, and then you go to induction and you end up with a cascade of interventions, you end up with a seven-pound baby. And isn't that great? Because you got a live baby in the bassinet. That's right. Aren't you so glad? You went to the hospital and had your baby. Oh, my God. Okay, so I think that that pretty much covers. Yeah, I hope you guys nope. enjoyed that. Yeah. <laughs> All I know is we have too many penias. That's that's the the lesson for today is there are too many penias out there. <laughs> and we'll have to try to figure out why. <laughs> okay. Oh, right. by the way, you said that salmon was a good food for uh, for preventing platelet count. I mean, just... But not if you live in Canab. <laughs> You went out shopping for salmon to make dinner for tonight? There was no fish. No. Nope. I, that's why I asked you, are they going to have salmon here? Because I figured. Well, we could go fishing. Desert, we could go fishing and catch some salmon. copies or something. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, we don't. Anyway, we have we have fun when we're apart, but we have more fun when we're together. That's right. We do. All right. So thanks, everybody. Uh, support our sponsors. Uh, what else do you want to tell people? Check your spam folders. Have a great summer. Yeah. Have fun. Be with your family. Relax. Get in the sunshine and, you know, have a good time. That's what I think. Yeah. Like, See you next that's time. That's what we're going to do. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 